And a favorable outcome comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. And that's a big distinction because if we're waiting for life to turn out perfectly and beautifully, and then I will choose to be happy, and then I will choose to be grateful, and then I will choose to be A, B, C, D, E, it doesn't work that way because we can be in whatever circumstance and choose to find some joy in it and find maybe some lessons in it, or we can just be miserable. We're all on the journey to discover the light inside, that beacon which guides us to live our truest, most authentic self. I am your host, behavioral coach Jeffrey Bisek. Sit back and strap in as our journey continues. This is episode number 98. Inspirational author Layla Gifty Akita tells us, Calm water is like a still soul. When navigating the occasional stormy seas of life, rather than building a better ship, simply listen instead to that quiet voice inside. As we lean into our episode today, I'm excited to talk with author and podcast host, Linda Bjorn, about how each of us can create a more effective relationship with stress. In her book, You Got This, Linda talks about how to decrease stressors, increasing coping skills, confidence, and resilience, finding solutions to your problems. Today, we explore how feelings of fear, anxiety, worry, and stress are all emotional reactive cycles of response. But don't worry any longer. In this episode, we will learn how life becomes happy, delightful, and yes, enjoyable when you set yourself free of those words, which allows us to surrender and simply say, you got this. Tune in to discover the skills that will help you flow through life, unrattled and unperturbable, on this episode of The Light Inside. Welcome back to The Light Inside. I'm grateful you're continuing the journey with us, and I'm also thankful for you, our faithful listening community. My guest today offers a wealth of insight and inspiration. as a best-selling author, speaker, the host of Linda's Quarter podcast, and the founder of the Hope for Healing nonprofit. She teaches us that every journey to healing begins with hope. In her Amazon bestseller, You Got This, is an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. In our discussion, Linda shares how managing our daily stressors is a simple task of forming an effective relationship to our emotions. And now please help us welcome Linda Bjork. Hello, Linda. How are you? Good morning, Jeffrey. Oh, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Fantastic. Hi. I'm glad you're here. I just recently listened to your episode with Alan Klein, and it sounds like you're going to be a grandpa pretty soon. Yes. Yes. Looking forward to that. <laughs> All kinds of fun life changes happening. That is- within the last, actually, last year and a half, we've got all three of our grown adult children either back near us in Ohio or speculating to be back. Moving from that empty nester phase now kind of rapidly into this next phase of being grandparents and kind of guiding our kids through that more adult phase of life. It's interesting. Fantastic. Well, I have seven grandkids, so really? they range from eight down to just barely born a couple of weeks ago. So Wow. Wow. I would have never guessed. <laughs> yeah. 
wonderful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of a, a new, exciting face for us to lean into. So as we move that way, we're getting all prepared. We're already kind of getting all of these little, what do we do next? What do we do next? So <laughs> <laughs> it shall be interesting. nice that they're moving closer so that you'll be yes. able to see him. I haven't seen my newest grandbaby yet. He's in another state, but I'm going to get there in a couple of weeks. So. Yes, we're expecting a granddaughter for our first. So, yeah, <laughs> it's the youngest son that was the first to get married and the first to have grandkids. So he's jumping ahead of the older two. <laughs> Isn't that crazy the way it works? It is. It is. Order. I think yeah. it goes the way it's supposed to. I hope. <laughs> what would we do if everything went as expected? I think that's a, a good way to look at what we're preparing to talk about today is how we deal with stressors. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk with you today about this idea of shifting our relationship with stress. So when you're ready to jump in. So we're going to be talking about stress and we're going to talk about resiliency. <laughs> we're going to be talking about how to handle different kinds of things. And I would like to kind of give an example of an experience that I had a, a couple months ago about what kinds of things can bring that, you know, fear and stress and anxiety and those kinds of things into our lives. So my husband is a pilot and he loves airplanes, like loves, eats, drinks, sleeps, loves airplanes. So we went for an airplane ride in this little two seats airplane and we're having a great time. And then all of a sudden there's this big explosion sound and oh smoke starts <laughs> pouring out of the cowling and oil starts oozing at my feet. And the plane is just shaking so violently that I thought pieces were going to fall off. Mm. And I thought we were going to plummet to the ground and that we were dead. And it was obvious that we were not going to make it to a runway and we needed to find a place for an emergency landing. And so we're scanning the ground and there was a frontage road next to the highway. And so we were able to land and it was such a tender mercy that there weren't cars. Mm -hmm. We didn't hit a car. We did stop traffic and we did have to, you know, pull yes. the plane off to the side of the road so the cars could go by. And then um, it's like, okay, now the plane is not where it belongs. We got to do something about this. So one of the people who passed by and stopped to see if we were okay, offered my husband a ride. So he went to go get the truck and the trailer so we could move the plane. And I stayed with the plane to answer questions of, you know, if any police or whatever showed up and they did in droves. So pretty soon I had one and then two and then three. And then I had seven police cars and emergency vehicles all surrounding us, me and the plane, you know, you know what happened and, da, 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 and asking questions and, and, and they weren't sure what to do because I was okay. <laughs> and we were, you know, having a conversation and mm. I said, you know, is this the first time you've ever found a plane off the side of the road? And, and they said, no, it's the first time we've seen survivors. Wow. And so I was already, you know, feeling all that stress from the thing that we had just gone through. And then that reminder of, wow, I'm alive and I could be not that. So here we are. And then finally my husband shows up and he's got the truck. He's got the tray there. We're able to take care of notifying everybody that needed to be notified, get the plane all loaded up. So now we have the, the plane and the trailer and we're pulling it uh, with the truck down the road, still just going, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. And then not 10 minutes down the road, Jeffrey, there is an explosion in the truck under the hood and smoke starts pouring out oh, and yeah. fluid is shooting everywhere. And the temperature gauge just goes off the chart. And we just are like, really? 
And so we pull <laughs> off my freeway and you know have to climb and traffic is zooming by at 80 miles an hour and my husband said wouldn't it be ironic if we survived an airplane crash only to be hit by a car a few you know minutes later and and open up the hood and found that a clamp from the radiator hose had come undone and and so we kind of made a makeshift repair took our water bottles that we had in the truck and used it to fill up the radiator a little bit and now we're slowly nursing this little truck trying to work our way home and we finally get home and take a breath and then open up the garage door and our car has a flat tire. And I don't mean like a look <laughs> tire, it is flat on the ground. And we just said, really? Really? Okay. And we're both feeling pretty stressed. It's been a stressful day. And so I, I, we said, you know, let's just take a break for a minute. Let's go for a bike ride and let's just catch our breath. And then we'll come back and we'll deal with all this in a little while. So we go for a bike ride and we have this 10 mile route that we love to do. So we're riding along and then my husband's bicycle starts making weird noises and running rough. And it's like, really? And so we pull off to the side of the pathway and it's a recumbent bicycle with a long wheelbase and the chains are really, really long. And some of in parts, they're encased by this uh, plastic tubing and some of the plastic tubing had caught something and broke off pieces and got stuck in. So we had to fix things and twiddle with things so that we could nurse the bikes back home. And then we're putting the bikes away and we have a canoe. We look at the canoe and we look at each other. It's like, this is the only vehicle we own that hasn't betrayed us yet today. So by now it's an experiment. We have to take it out and see if it will sink. So we took the canoe for a ride and it didn't sink. And then we just laughed about it and had a good time. And then we started going through the process of of fixing everything. Like you put the spare on the tire and you go buy a new tire and you get a new clamp and you fix the truck. And the plane is not finished yet, but we're in the process of and the bikes. And so all of these types of things just give an example of stuff happens, life yeah. happens. And sometimes it can be pretty stressful. So the goal is not to try to prevent, I mean, a lot of that would be nice if it was prevented, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. But to be able to be resilient. So when stuff happens and you have a crazy day, that you can bounce back and you can end up laughing about it and doing other fun things later. So as we talked about, so what do you do so that you can laugh it off? Um, it, we're going to talk about different things, but the thing that makes the magic is a combination of learning and doing. And so I want to explain a little bit about the brain and about the body. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners and yourself may be familiar with some of these things, but it's a good reminder. And then share just a quick, easy five minute morning routine that if we do this on a consistent basis, it puts us in a good place. Because there's a a quote by Viktor Frankl. He said, you know, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response is our happiness and our growth. And so that's the thing that we want to work at is stuff happens, life happens, but it is working on creating a space so that we can respond rather than just reacting. I think, you know, first of all, let's look at that day. (laughs) (laughs) I was coming in from a very similar angle, going to bring in a somewhat now very diminished view of a similar story of a flat tire just this week. But this kind of puts that in a whole new perspective now where (laughs) we go to an even deeper level of integrative complexity or those simple gray areas of life where things 
can or can't be more than what we make of them. You know, that's one of those cases where we're going to a worst case scenario where one after the other, after the other of very unfortunate incidents is snowball. And I have to laugh a little bit because I'm like, why? Wow, you know, because I'm taking it back, you know, and it's like my first instinct is like, holy cow, you know, holy cow. What more could go wrong if you look at what's going wrong? But what also you were able, obviously now, Linda, to shift the perspective and say, but what went right? I'm alive. That's that's what that's a- am I simply grateful <laughs> for now? Yeah. It's kind of the crux of our our entire conversation. I feel what am I grateful for? What went right in looking at that Viktor Frankl view? And most of us know or we're familiar somewhat with Viktor Frankl's experience going through the concentration camps, very bleak circumstances. And how do you find a favorable outcome out of that? Right. And the favorable outcome comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. And that's a big distinction because if we're waiting for life to turn out perfectly and beautifully, and then I will choose to be happy. And then I will choose to be grateful. And then I will choose to be A, B, C, D, E. It doesn't work that way because we can be in whatever circumstance and choose to find some joy in it and find maybe some lessons in it, or we can just be miserable. And it can be the exact same set of circumstances. We were talking a little bit earlier about our perspective. So if you're looking at something from below or at eye level or from above, like in an airplane that hopefully does not have an engine blow up, (laughs) then you see things from a different perspective. And it's the same thing, but we just get such a different view about it. And just shared a somewhat similar related conversation in our episode, two episodes back, where I was flying to Atlanta Thanksgiving Day to help the sun move back. On that flight, I'm listening to this conversation on another podcast, The Hidden Brain, where they're talking about working with that grace under fire, under pressure, and the John Scully story of when the plane was going down in the Hudson. Mm. Being able to form that ability to remove that emotional response out of there is so critical, so key that am I just reacting to this stress on that state of response? Yeah. And to be able to act rather than react, to be able to still keep some of our cognitive functions rather than just working on fear is very important. And it's a a learned skill. Like we learn all kinds of things and we can do things if we practice. We don't want to practice in bad situations, but we can practice in good situations to be able to be joyful and to be positive and to look for good things and just being happy. It's a choice. We look at that whole core definition of what stress is, a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. What we determine of those circumstances is our own making, our own response, so often patterned in what we're taught. Now, in this case, when we're looking at the potential of the plane going down, there's a very real response needed there. There's a very real concern. It's very real concern also as you're dealing with managing the stress of your normal day, the stress of getting up and being on time, the stress of the children there and interacting. We're looking at very extreme, potentially polarizing views of that, but still the same principles apply from the most mundane to the very challenging. The very same core patterns and principles apply. Yeah. 
And I loved how you talked about and explained kind of the definition of this is what stress is. And now let's take a look about what it does and our attitudes about stress. Because stress in and of itself uh, is not good or bad. It, it is. Um, there was a study done by a team, Yerkes and Dodson, over 100 years ago to be able to try to figure out, okay, from a series of studies, what is the relationship between stress and our performance level? Does it help? Does it hurt? What does it do? And so uh, if it helped and they put it on a graph and you looked at the, the y-axis, which would be the, uh, our level of performance, and the x-axis would be the level of, of stress, then would an increase of stress, would that improve our performance? And that would create kind of a line with a, a positive slope. Or does stress hurt our performance, in which case we might see a, a line that goes with a, a negative slope so that if we have high stress, then we, you know, do, and I can't remember which one I said first, high stress <laughs> and good performance, or is it low stress and good performance? Where, where is it at? And it turns out that it's neither. It is neither. The, the graph is actually a bell curve. It's a bell curve and it's called the, the Yerkes-Dodson curve. This is the Yerkes-Dodson law, not theory. It is a law that if we have a little bit of stress, it improves our performance up to a point. And then if we get too much stress, then it begins to decrease. And sometimes we can just, we, we can't even function because we're just too stressed out. But the idea of looking at this relationship between stress and performance can kind of help to open our eyes because some people feel stressed about being stressed and it kind of compounds itself like, oh, this is a bad thing. I, I need to eliminate all stress from my life. And the truth is, first of all, you can't. And second of all, it actually isn't good for us because if we don't have any stress, if there's no uh, demands on us, no expectations, we don't perform very well. It is when we have a little bit, that's why we have things like deadlines or you might set a goal or do something where there's an expectation because it helps us perform better. So we need to be able to get onto that peak of the peak of the Yerkes-Dodson curve rather than on the, the down falling side where we become overwhelmed. So I think the first step is just kind of recognizing our relationship with stress. It's not our enemy. It really isn't. It needs to be kind of harnessed as our friend and as our ally that this is something designed to help us to be able to do a good job. Like in the example of, of the airplane situation, that was a stressful situation. So having a little bit of stress and realizing this is very important that we do a good job here. The consequences are possible death, but rather than getting panicked about that, a little bit of stress can help you focus and to be able to think clearly about, okay, what is the next step and what do we need to do? And we need to make decisions very, very quickly and they need to be accurate. And that can actually help as long as we don't get it on the other side where we turn it into panic. So, um, and my husband, you talked about practicing. He's, you know, he's a pilot. He, he, this is not his first rodeo. It was mine, but it was not his. <laughs> and um, he, he says, you know, when there's a problem, he says, you don't panic. The first thing you do is fly the plane. And the second thing you do is look for a space to land. And since I hadn't personally experienced it, but I had heard him say it enough, my first thought wasn't, we're dead. It was, okay, fly the plane where are we going to land? And so I'm scanning the ground. I didn't scream and get hysterical or anything, which would have made it worse for him. Yeah. But, but just having that kind of a, I don't know, practice, like this is going to be okay. This, this uh, a positive expectation, things can turn out okay. 
It doesn't mean that we have to have a horrible situation. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And uh, anyway, turn out, turn out okay. That brings me around, and I'm kind of following your lead today, to this idea of what is the motivational factor driving us. We've been taught a lot of pattern beliefs about what motivation is. Basically looking at that, what is our why driving any action we undertake, driving interaction of any sort? What is the why behind that? So often we're looking at that from those external patterns of motivation. Something outside of me is dictating what that why is versus intrinsic motivation, which is a why that I determine my own personal meaning of. There's a balance there that we kind of vacillate between very often can become the circumstance. Am I making this decision based on my choice, my values, or is there an outside force, an outside pattern, an outside belief that I'm simply adopting? Mm. When we can integrate those two, we become more interactive in our ability to respond. We become more available in our ability to respond. And when we can act from an own sense of self-awareness, self-agency, and personal initiative or our own volition, is there a greater probability of us making a choice that's effective? I think that's brilliant. And as you're discussing this, my thought is the first step is awareness and even asking that question. Because so many people just go about their day and they don't even realize that there is a distinction between an internal motivation and an external motivation. And when we don't realize that there is a difference, then we, we kind of give up our power. We, we forget that yes. there is a choice that we can do things that we want because it's what is important and valuable to us rather than I have to be to work on time because my boss said so, or I have to do this because so-and-so said so. But to be able to pull it in and say, wait a minute, let's look at where are these voices coming from? And let's kind of just, just become aware and then choose which voices to listen to. I think it makes a difference in how we feel, our, our fulfillment, our personal happiness. What could be more empowering to simply feel like I am capable, I deem myself worthy to do this? If we put ourselves in that frame of reference, that becomes the mind frame that you create that becomes more available. Now I say frame because so often when we become set in our mind, in our thinking, we become limited. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's become another pattern of belief, another preconditioned state that says, well, our mindset is important. And that's the vernacular we've accepted Mm. very largely throughout our society. My mind is now set in how I think and believe about this, rather than being present and aware of the frame of mind I'm currently in, that allows me to address all of the potential. Mm. And I like that you even included the the little comment about at the current moment, our our frame, because we we can have a kind of a general set of this is where I, I want to be, but we can have moments where we're in different places. And then to be able to recognize, oh, where am I right now? Okay. And where do I want to be? Am, am I in harmony with where I want to be? And then you can make an, a course adjustment if necessary. That opens us up to another part of the conversation I'm going to try to bring us back to, and that's this ability to routinely disrupt your pattern. We'll get to that in a moment and how that can also become 
a beneficial state. But we look at that idea of how we frequently relate to stress becomes a stress identity. I am stressed, which simply says I am stress. So you're automatically saying that I am becoming all of that confusion, all of that chaos and making that the place I'm identifying from the place I'm interacting from, the place that I'm doing all of my discernment becomes an even more expanded awareness of that. So often that becomes the dialogue where we place ourselves into that victim mentality of this is happening to me rather than me interacting with it, not even so much happening for me. It just is happening. When we shift that, it just is happening. When you're on the plane under those dire circumstances, was it happening to you? Was it happening for you? You know, I would like to not think that there's a force out there intentionally trying to bring us down for us to challenge against. Or is it, yeah, you know, or is it simply happening and how I respond becomes the meaning I create from it? It's all perspectives, all consideration, all objectives to discern. So often we get caught in that subjective state of, yes, but. Yes, this is happening, but yes, but I experience this. Yes, I expect this. Yes, but this could happen rather than yes, isn't this curious? Now what? Mm. That creates the gap when you interject that curiosity in there to just simply say, isn't this interesting? Gives you a moment to say, now what? Hopefully in that circumstances, it didn't require such a very instant what, but obviously you're still here with us today. Somebody or something made a very good action call. Yeah. Grateful for that. Grateful for a good action call. So as we're talking about stress and this relationship that we have, and you talked about, I am stressed, I am stressed. I would like to just as increase a little bit of awareness of what that does to our bodies. Because stress, we mentioned this before, it isn't good. It isn't bad. There's two different factors that create uh, whether it is helpful or hurtful to us. And we talked a little bit about the intensity of how much stress we're feeling. And the next thing is duration, how long it is. That's the other thing that can make it helpful or hurtful. So in our bodies, our bodies are so amazing. The autonomic nervous system is mm-hmm. amazing. I don't even have to think about making my heart pump so that blood goes everywhere. It does it all by itself. And I don't even have to think about like digesting food. My body does it all by itself. And I don't even have to think about my immune system and fighting disease. It does it all by itself. This amazing autonomic nervous system that just takes care of things. This has different branches, the parasympathetic nervous system or rest and digest, which just takes care of things. It is awesome. And then we have this other amazing system, this turbo boost function built right in of the sympathetic nervous system, where it just does this turbo mode so that we can go faster and farther and escape from that tiger that's attacking us or whatever the current situation is. It is amazing. It is a beautiful, amazing thing, but it does that turbo boost system by shutting down or decreasing the energy that goes to other systems like, okay, pause right now. We got to get away from the tiger, which means 
We're going to shut down the digestive system. We're going to shut down the uh, the immune response. We're going to shut down growth processes. We're going to shut down reproductive systems <laughs> because we don't need that right now. Right now, for the number one most important thing for our safety is we got to get away from that tire. After that, we'll turn everything back on. Beautiful, amazing, wonderful system. Now, the problem comes when we switch into that turbo boost and get stuck there. And when that happens and we stay in that sympathetic dominant or that fight or flight system and we don't go back to that rest and digest, it wrecks absolute havoc on our bodies. We can't function very well for a long time without our digestive system, without our immune system. It doesn't work very well. Our bodies are designed to heal and to repair itself. But not if that system is shut off. And so if we stay in a stressed situation and get stuck there, all of a sudden this stress and this beautiful, amazing, natural system of this fight or flight, instead of being our friend and ally, it becomes our enemy because it doesn't work the way it was intended. So what we need to do, and we're trying to deal with stress, is to be able to learn some things to get us back into that relaxation response. That's the flip the switch to get us over into the rest and digest. And one of the easiest ways is to breathe out. Often when you're stressed, the first natural thing is an intake of breath. It's like... (gasps) And that is a natural response that our body does to make sure that there's air in the lungs so that we can run and get away from the tiger. And it's a good thing. However, if there's not actually a tiger and we need to work ourselves back into the other system, slowly thinking about breathing out helps to flip the switch back. And if one breath isn't enough, do it several times. But pay attention when you breathe out because it's breathing out that flips us back into that parasympathetic dominant nervous system. So super important. You know that feeling when your brain kicks in. There's a rush and a sense of pride, a feeling of elation telling you that you nailed it. That's the feeling they live for at Nariva. Named for the Greek word for brain and Latin word for life, Nariva gives your brain new life. As a wellness industry leader, Schiff has been providing natural, nutritional, and health supplements since 1936. Nariva is on a mission to support brain health. Their latest supplement combines the best of science and nature to help brains brain better. Nature made it, and science proves it. Sourced from natural ingredients, Nariva helps to improve your brain's performance in five key areas. Acting to boost focus, accuracy, memory, learning, and concentration. So if you're looking for a brain supplement backed by real science, try Nariva today by visiting www.shiftvitamins.com. That's www.shiffvitamins.com. So live life on your terms. It's time to bring better. I'd like to look at that from a number of different angles that I feel I can really impactfully interact with today. First of all, let's look at how that parasynthetic operates on mirror neurons. We learned a pattern response that said there's a tiger. 
we have to be fearful. We have to run. We have to breathe. We've removed a lot of the tigers in our lives. Aside from, granted, we've created airplanes that we now can fall out of the sky (laughs) out of. We've created our own tiger there. And what belief we put in that tiger is ultimately still up to us. Are we acting on a pattern response? Are we acting on a socially conditioned response through social signaling that says, there's a tiger, I have to be fearful? Or are we acting on our own internal belief, overriding that ego response that says, I have to stay safe because I'm feeling insecure? Mirror neurons driving that most of the time from what I gather. I'm not going to profess to be completely scholarly versed in that. But touched with that enough to say, by and large, we're acting on that pattern that says there's something to be fearful of. Kicks us into that battle, that resistance between the parasynthetic and the synthetic, the parasynthetic, the synthetic, the parasynthetic, the synthetic. It becomes that resistive state where your sense of security is constantly doubting itself. Whether the stress is there or not often becomes programmed kicks into those mirror neurons and you're just mirroring a past experience or a past conditioned pattern or habit someone has handed you and said, here you go. Good luck with that. Brings me around a little bit here now to this state called somatic coherence, where we don't act so much on the response as we do being aware of what's going on around us. I'm going to back up. My Siri jumped in there for some reason. She had to interject. She didn't like what I was saying about the pattern and was going to try to disrupt it. Good thing. But going back, you know, that somatic response is your whole body presence with it. I feel like, you know, this might be a new area where I start to see things really branching out from my experience. We're starting to now divest from this pattern of saying it is what this is rather than it is what it is. We're creating that yes, but scenario because we keep saying we're waiting for these tigers to jump out. Rather than being present and aware of things like our heart rate, our breathing, what we're consuming, how we're eating, kicking a little bit back out of that parasynthetic and becoming more synthetic about what we do in our responses, our reactions. Are we being mindful? of how we're eating? Are we taking the time to just simply enjoy that process? Puts us in a greater awareness, puts us in a greater response with our body systems. Just had a guest on where she has healed some body maladies, some slight discrepancies in her skull structure even, where she has a daily mindfulness practice that she feels and has demonstrated she can tap into those somatic experiences, that somatic response by putting her mind on it over a course of a couple of years, she's been able to shift and heal, bring back into symmetry some of these discrepancies in her body structure to bring them back to a more natural state. That's where I'm throwing a little curve today. <laughs> I went off on a big tangent on that, but no, I, feel I love like- that. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. One yeah. is when the, the idea of psychosomatic There used to be, and there's some people who still think, psychosomatic means there's nothing actually wrong with you. It's all in your head. There's nothing wrong. And now the idea is starting to be better and deeper understood that it is known. Psychosomatic means that there is a connection between our body and our mind, between our emotions, between our traumas, between our experiences that physically manifest. 
And sometimes, you know, if you're not listening, then your body will slap you across the face and say, <laughs> here is a big problem that you have to deal with. So you will listen to me in this form if you won't listen to me in this form. So that's kind of interesting. And you also talked about kind of this uh, as, we're, as we're fearful and we're trying to run from our tigers and we have these kinds of situations that there is... Um, you know, our safety is our number one priority. It, it is. Safety is yeah. our priority. And the things that we fear, the reason that we fear is part of our, of our um, defense system to protect us from things that are going to harm us. And so it's, it's a good thing. But sometimes we get a little bit confused and think that it's actually the fear, the anxiety, the worry, and the stress that is protecting us like if i worry enough about my kids they'll be safe and if man if there was ever a moment that they got hurt and i wasn't actively worrying about them it's practically my fault because i was not protecting them in my worry bubble and i see now people who are struggling with with covid and their fear of it that they think if they stop fearing it for a moment then somehow it's it's going to permeate their fear bubble that's protecting them and as long as we believe that we will never let go of our fear we will never let go of our worry because we think it's protecting us so again it's becoming a little bit more aware that you're right that is part of our protection system, but it's not the fear itself that is protecting us. So we need to let that go. But until we recognize that that's not what protecting us, and it's so funny because if you say it out <laughs> loud, it sounds kind of silly, but in our heads, it makes perfect sense, you know? Even sometimes in our head, but it makes sense, we're not listening to that voice of intuition that, you know, also interacts with the head and the heart, with the body responses, with your breathing, with the energy you're collecting from the universe around you. We extend well beyond this shield in front of us, this mask sometimes that we put on to hide behind. Our energy still goes out there. Our vibration, you know, all of these things that we've created all of these battles with, oh, that's woo-woo, you know, that's only your perception that's saying you've got a resistance to that idea. Rather than it is just a simple potential, very, very frequently, we all feel and sense these things. We all have this internal and intuitive knowing about things and whether or not we open up and listen to it is that choice, is that volition stepping in. Sometimes it's that ego protecting me saying, I'm anxious about this. I'm guarded about it. I'm not wanting to accept this as a potential and be vulnerable to it and be resilient through it. I'm putting up that shield. That's shutting all of the potential out. That becomes simply resistance. And I would prefer resilience over resistance. Yes. Not that I don't want to, not that I'm saying I'm going to invite problems. I'm going to <laughs> the actions. Not to say we get willy-nilly yeah. about things to put it in another well-used pattern of belief. We still have to have that awareness of what a potential outcome might deliver, what a potential result might happen in that space of creation oh, and effectively it. interact with that effectively okay. be aware so let's put myself and my husband let's put us back in the plane yes explosion thing mm -hmm. is going on we have to act there is an action that is required now 
if we are fearful and let that kind of hijack us, then the action that we're going to take is not going to be the right one. So we have to be able to, when we're in a situation, be able to be calm enough to to take that action that is going to be the right action. We can't let the fear hijack us and put us on the wrong side mm-hmm. of that Yerkes-Dodson curve where our performance drops, especially when it's you know, life or death, you got to make the right choices. So again, this is where we want to be able to learn those skill set to be able to manage those feelings so that they don't hijack us. And you know, it's one thing to say it and say, well, this is what you ought to be doing. This is how you should be feeling. This is how you should respond. And then when you're in it, it's like, just telling me is not going to change my life. You know, it, it, you want some some action steps, some give me something specific to do that's going to make a change in the way that I respond. And that's a, a really big deal. So is it okay if we move into that part? Or yeah, let's, let's move a little into Five that minutes. thing. I want to frame that by saying one simple statement here that kind of ties that up from my perspective going into it. Utilizing thoughtful introspection, looking inward to form sound reasoning abilities aligned with our core internal values while engaging heartfelt emotional responsiveness, free of cycles of emotional reactivity. Mm-hmm. How might we bridge that and bring those together? Because I got a very intuitive feeling. You have a great insight on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like things simple. I have an exercise video that I love to do, and it has a whole bunch of different workouts. Yeah. And they're different lengths of time, you know, like 40 minutes and 50. There's one that's 10 minutes long. Guess which one I use the most. <laughs> okay. So I go to the 10 more. <laughs> uh-huh. That if, if something is simple yeah. and easy, then I'm more likely to do it. And that makes all the difference in the world because true change comes from a combination of learning and doing. And if we just learn something, it's not self-help, it's shelf-help. It, it does me no good whatsoever except for collect dust. We have to be able to learn. And so if we can find something that we can do that is small enough, short enough, simple enough that we think, oh, I could do that, like my 10-minute workout, then we actually do it. Otherwise, I have all these great workouts that I don't do. So this um, simple five-minute thing, it's, it's MMWW super easy, five minutes. And it is a combination of music, movement, words, and water. So the first part of the the movement is movement does so many incredible things for our body. It helps relax our muscle tension. It helps to boost our energy. It helps to lower the cortisol levels, the stress hormones in our bodies. It helps to increase the endorphins in our brains. Our bodies are designed to move. And also, as we've talked about stress and trauma, it's stored in our bodies, not just in our brain. It is in our bodies. And so it's through moving that we're able to help work through these things. So the music does a couple things for us. And one is it's our timer. So turning on a song that you love, then that's how long I'm going to move. And you can choose what you want to do for that movement. Like if you like, my husband likes to box. So if you do shadow boxing to a nice, you know, Rocky song or something for just that duration, you are amazed at how good you feel in such a short amount of time. And it's a really good workout. And then if you are more like, you just want to 
just just dance or some people like yoga or some people like stretches or some people like jumping jacks and actual workout workout kind of a thing it doesn't matter just some kind of movement for one song one song length and music in and of itself does amazing things for our brains and our bodies through fmri scans they found that music stimulates more parts of the brain than anything else that we can do and it affects our emotions more than any other type of modality so it can our brain waves literally tend to synchronize somewhat with the beat of the music so if you're feeling stressed and you want to calm down a little bit listening to calming music can help literally calm your brain down and so that you're able to think and if you're struggling like oh i don't want to get out of bed i have no energy i can't function if you turn on a happy fun upbeat positive music it can literally help jumpstart your brain okay let's get going here we go here we go we're doing stuff and then if you really want to boost the power of music you sing along because singing does incredible things for the way that we feel and so much research has been done again it relaxes muscle tension i was talking to someone the other day and i was trying to share this mmww he says i don't want to exercise don't make me <laughs> and i said that's okay then sing he says oh i love to sing i says okay then you sing so you just sing and if you sing along it does amazing things it relaxes the muscle tension it helps to boost the endorphins it helps to reduce the level of cortisol and then all these awesome studies have been done where uh, they took a group of people who were struggling with depression and anxiety and those two they go together a lot and one group was a control group they said just keep doing what you're doing the other group they said we just want you to sing a song every day just sing 30 days later came back and checked on their groups control group was exactly where they were 30 days ago the study group had significantly lower levels of depression and anxiety and the only change that they made was singing a song every day <laughs> it does amazing things and they don't even know all of the reasons why but one thing scientists have discovered is there's a tiny little organ in the inner ear called the sacculus and it is stimulated when we sing and when that is stimulated it sends a little boost of pleasure to our brain it's one thing that can change the way we feel faster than anything else is singing a song okay so music movement the other thing the next thing is words and i'm going to ask you to write five things that you're grateful for in a gratitude journal and gratitude does amazing things and i know that can people can say isn't that nice gratitude journals for those soft fluffy little pollyanna people who like to do that sort of thing but it's not a real solution for people with real problems but research shows that it is and um gratitude they've done so many studies on gratitude and again they use those awesome fmri scans and they found that it helps to stimulate the the prefrontal cortex area of the brain which helps us to be able to um that's where our, our conscious thought and our decision making and all those types of things take place so it helps us to be able to make decisions better it helps us be able to stay in the present more it does so amazing things and then it improves the neuroplasticity of the brain so we're able to heal better we're able to change better we're able to adapt to change better all of these things because our brain is healthier it's in a better spot and again another study was done with depression and gratitude and in this one they took a group of severely depressed people they said okay we want you to write three things in a gratitude journal every day came back 15 days later to see if there were any changes 94 percent had noticed an improvement they had gone from severely depressed to either moderately depressed or mildly depressed it wasn't that all of their problems were gone but they were way in a better place to be able to handle it 
So super, super amazing. And it doesn't take very long to write down five things to be grateful for. And then the last thing is just to drink a bottle of water or a glass of water because our brains are 73% water. And if it's dehydrated, even as little as 1%, they start to notice problems in our mood and in our cognitive abilities. And so drinking water helps and it helps with our bodies, cleaning out toxins. So if we spend just five minutes with music, movement, words, and water, we have done something to help our brains, to help our bodies, to help improve our mood. And it literally literally puts us in a better place so that when we have a bad day, maybe your airplane has to do a little crash landing, <laughs> your truck blows up, and maybe your car has a flat tire, <laughs> and maybe your bicycle does weird things, then you can bounce back and you're going to be okay. So that is um, what I, I invite people to, to give it a try, just five minutes a day. We look at that water roll, you know, that to me is such a often overlooked aspect of our being throughout mm -hmm. society. We're drinking so many other things, not to be judgmental, but to just simply put it in an awareness outside of just plain pure water. That's so essential. And that whole flow of electrical energy, and we've called it electrical energy, and even some of our awareness of how that energy is can be expanded upon. We're not going to go on that today. <laughs> I've done a lot of background on that, but we're not going to go down that today. But the very key fact is we think about how water conduces and conducts electricity. You know, it flows through there and, and shocks you if you're standing in water and you touch an electric source. That's going on naturally in our bodies with all of those thoughts being at their core, an energetic response. It makes sense when there's enough substance in there for that response to swim around in. That's an aside. I, you know, he kind of took me down that path to bring that relevance back. Your energy matters. Your energy is matter. How you effectively form that relationship and respond within it, within your own interaction, with your interactions with others, becomes a big thing. I'm going to put it real simple. We like to talk simple today. It matters what kind of energy you're putting out there. If you're not putting the right things in your body, the, the things which make it more productive to kind of deviate again from that right or wrong. If you aren't putting the things in that make it effective, you're going to start forming some of your own struggle. I'm going to leave that out there on a limb today. We go back and look at those ideas of looking at how our patterns are formed, how we start to show up. So often we do kick into that autonomic response where we're just being and doing the same thing and unaware, disconnected, disengaged. We are just letting it go. We're not trying to at least have a relationship with it. Now, sometimes when we start to control that relationship, we create the resistance, the restriction that keeps it stuck and limited. We have a predetermined pattern of what we believe will happen if we do, or we're totally leaving it wide open and out on the playing field. Sometimes changing up that pattern, disrupting it, is that very wake-up call that actually facilitates your simple evolution. It's not even about whether or not you're growing. You just simply are open to become change, to engage potential. Let's look at that a little bit. Going in, I've come across Frank J. Barrett's book, 
Yes to the mass. Surprise leadership lessons from jazz. Jazz music. We're going back to the music connection here, and we kind of come back full circle. Within jazz, the basic premise is being open and available to improvise, evolve, change, experiment, accept and be fluid, to surrender to what the typical structure of something is in order for that surrender of not being married to outcomes by embracing simply infinite potential. Sometimes we got to shake the box up. We've got to just be open and available to move somewhere new. We watch musicians, you know, Miles, Prince, Bill Evans, Garth Brooks, Herbie Hancock. I'm going to try to cover my bases here so as not to maybe limit it to somebody that might not be open to jazz. Any outstanding musical artist or artist in general is open to allow that art to unfold when they're at their best, when they're engaging it. They're not married to the outcome and simply available to what might transpire, what unfolds. Sometimes we just have to be willing to step into that frame where we say, I accept what it is. I'm vulnerable. I'm going to be resilient with what happens and just allow things to somewhat unfold. I like that. And I think part of resiliency is knowing that you're going to be okay, even if you don't know what okay looks like. Okay. So you talk about well, being married to the outcome, where a lot of times we think, I will be okay if it turns out precisely the way that I envision it to turn out. Well, 99.9% of the time, it does not turn out exactly the way that you envisioned it. So if we don't have that power of being able to be uh, flexible, of being able to be resilient, then we're going to be disappointed a lot and frustrated a lot. That theme of okay has become very recurrent throughout our program. It can be an often battled perception. The state of okay gets kicked around the curb a lot of times. At its core, I'm going to go back because I feel this is such a pertinent message. Okay, at its core inception was meant to say all correct, O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T, meaning that it's okay or all correct sometimes for things not to be perfect, not to be completely okay, completely you know perfected. That variable is that space to allow that gap for things to transpire, to be present, to be aware, and that's okay. It's not surrendering any ability to interact. It's just being vulnerable to your ability to interact and then surrendering your marriedment, you know, your tiredness to the outcome. You're trying to control and manipulate, which becomes resistance. You're trying to hold things back rather than freeing them and letting them flow. And I like to say life doesn't have to be perfect in order to be wonderful. Yeah. So as we're talking about vulnerability, and it depends on on the audience of what their interpretation of vulnerability is. I know Brene Brown has just kind of opened the world on what this word means. But for a lot of people, vulnerability still means I'm in danger. Yes. And it doesn't have to mean I'm in danger. It means I am authentic. I am flexible. I am open. And I don't have to be perfect in order to be good enough. And so that is kind of the interpretation that, that I like to go to when I use that word is that I am me and my, my being, which is not perfect, is still wonderful. I'm going to go to that. And growing up, we were instilled with this 
kind of mantra, this kind of patterning of its own from our mother. I don't know is not an answer. Now to that, we learned and we were granted the access that said, but I don't know is a potential question. In order to learn something, in order to be aware of something, you have to first not know it in order to know it. If you stop at the ability to know and say, I don't know, and end, you're signaling that you aren't being available to move through that and create any potential. You've automatically become stuck in your belief and your thinking. Now, it, it took a little working out going through most of my adult life to really make good sense of that and say, that stuck point becomes the resistance, the sticking point that keeps you from any potential. Simply asking the questions, not whether they're right or wrong, just brains input and stimulus gives you full access to an infinite, unfolding, ever-changing, ever-evolving potential. Just by simply asking what next? Yes, and. I think that helps to improve our awareness because you don't know what you don't know. And when you're in that place where you don't know that you don't know, then there isn't an opportunity to learn and grow and change. However, when we do learn something, then it you know, it makes us a little bit accountable that we're supposed to do something about it. And again, it comes back to learning and doing. And those two parts, if you want any change, they have to go together. Whether it's an action or a response or a mindset or a something, it includes an action. There's a common thread that runs throughout historic Greek philosophy. Until one is uncertain, one cannot be certain. Until I am unknowing, I cannot become known or create any knowing beyond that. I think that's a great point to kind of circle around. In our own attempt to control things, we often create that resistance. That becomes the anxiety. That becomes all of the need to control, the need to domineer, becomes all of the worry, rather than simply moving into that vulnerable state, as you said, Linda to allow for that resilience to guide us through. I thank you for that beautiful insight today. Um, This has been wonderful. Thank you. This has. I really, really enjoyed this. You you pushed me out of my comfort zone a little bit with it. Good. And I love that. I I love that I can come in and simply say, I'm going to flow where I'm meeting another. I'm going to follow where that thread comes, much like when you're thrown out there on that limb facing that inevitable fall of the airplane. Until you take that ability to empower yourself within that, interact with it and work along with it, you're at its mercy. So thank you for tying that up so succinctly today. Namaste. The light in me acknowledges the light in you, Linda. I'd love to do this again soon because this has truly been, I, I feel like we've been talking for two hours and we're just smoothing over our hour point. I feel like we could go another two to three hours and probably continue (laughs) on. So let's do it again soon. That sounds delightful. Thank you, dear. I appreciate you so much. And I'm so, so grateful for your energy. Thank you. Thank you. Even under the most seemingly challenging circumstances and situations, one can find the courage and empowerment to embrace the opportunity, which is present in every moment of our being 
With a little courage, curiosity, and resiliency, one can learn to flow with the stressors which frequently present themselves, reframing them in a new perspective, which allows us to surrender and simply say, you got this. I'm so grateful to have shared this amazing conversation with Linda, detailing how we can form a more effective relationship to stress. Now here's this week's prompt. Take out a piece of paper and ask yourself, what can I do in this moment to bring more peace into my being? Then take a few moments to just breathe, letting go of anything you feel weighting you down. You'd really be surprised by what writing your inner workings out can do to help you get through uncertain times. While also becoming your action plan when reframing and navigating stress. Linda and I hope you learn several handy new practices which fortify your stress management toolbox. If you found value in this episode, drop us a note telling us what you found meaningful in today's show by tagging us on social media at The Light Inside Podcast. If you have anyone you feel would find this message helpful, reach out to them by emailing a link to our show at pod.link forward slash The Light Inside. Again, thank you for tuning in. Joining us next week is author Donna Cameron. Her best-selling book, A Year of Living Kindly, reminds us a little kindness can go a long way in transforming our lives, changing the way we see and interact in the world. Find out more on the next episode of The Light Inside.